Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Dead Funny Dead Serious Podcast. I'm your host, Casey Morozik, and joined with me today is Mitzi Weiland. It's uh, been a long time coming since we've had one of these episodes where we actually talk to each other. Uh, finally. Finally. So what's been going on in your world? Uh just doing private practice stuff, uh, learning a lot more about grief and loss groups has been my, my big passion the last couple of weeks and really dove deep into that. And that's cool. Um, that's about it. The sun is still trying to shine here in Seattle, uh, but luckily it's going away and it's been raining a little bit and I'm back to being happy. With that wait so you're happy you're only happy when it rains I, yeah but i hear it can't rain all the time so ooh, we we just did a whole 90s pop culture uh slew for those who didn't um, know it was garbage because uh, we can blame it on the rain you're you're a garbage too. person yeah <laughs> i think we should blame it on the rain i'm just saying um and then we Went into Micah the is, crow, which I, I think is an episode in itself, to be completely honest. You have a movie about a guy with unfinished business coming back from the dead to yes. avenge and protect those he loves, but then actually dies in the making of it. Oh. Uh. So good. And do you know that uh, Damon Johns from Shark Tank was one of the the backers on that movie? Really? It's on one of the episodes. Like there's a movie that wanted funding and he's like, nope, did that before. <laughs> I'm sure it was a little traumatic to be part of a movie that kind of went in this wild fashion that, you know, kind of a famous child of Hollywood dies tragically while filming that was his first that was his first movie wasn't it i think it was i mean definitely the biggest movie i know that we wikipedia'd him uh not so long ago i think he had little parts and other things if i'm not mistaken uh but yeah it was his claim to fame and death yeah i mean i remember watching that movie just religiously and I'm like, I was way too young to be watching that. But I, I think you and Matt were always watching it. And I was just like, yep. Violence and death and macabre and all that, all that coming together. And I was just like, this movie's for me. And vengeance. You know, like, and redemption. So good. So good. That and just murdering horrible humans. Yeah. I mean, they didn't murder just good people. Well, the dark character did, I guess. They they got real sadistic, like cutting out eyeballs and things. Like, yeah. Do you know the symbolism behind that? Because I don't. Um, I would guess it's an eye for an eye. 
Yeah, but they were doing it to people who didn't do anything wrong to them. They were just gross people. It's been a while. Because um, it was his, it was no. his Steph's stepsister that was like always wanting their eyes. He's like, they have pretty eyes. But it doesn't she say something like I can see their soul or I don't I don't know I remember it being really twisty. Oh, maybe yeah, like I can see their their soul in them or something. Yeah, that makes. Yeah, sense. it's been a while since I saw that. So you were you were telling me that there was something you you've been recently doing research on about anality, and I don't know anything about it. And I am just very floored to find out how anality plays into our outlook on death and grief and loss and just, yeah, enlighten me, please. <laughs> uh, I brought this to uh, my death cafe too, and they just thought that it was uh, both funny and fascinating. And, you know, you can just talk about poop and anality all day long and find it just it goes with everything everything uh, that we're trust me i have a 6 year old and a 2 year old i hear yeah. about poop all day long that's a huge part of this right um is they talk about anality with children because these thoughts are from the the research i mean it was just reading this book called the denial of death by ernest becker um it's from the 70s and he's talking um a lot about psychoanalysis which is going to be freud like freudian things so all, all the good stuff that goes with freud right penis envy and um who you know, doesn't have boys want to sleeping every, everyone does according to freud right um all the complexes that come with you know moms want to sleep with their sons and fathers want to sleep with their daughters like all of that piece uh comes in there uh so the analogy is it's really just it goes down to the fact that one it, it kind of starts with it's this tiny little hole that we can't see right so it's like this denial of oh there's this terrible substance that comes from our body and we want to deny it as much as possible and this has been a long time coming uh through human history where it's just like you don't we don't talk about it we don't look at it we just try to remove it as far as we can from our everyday living um i think we've really come to this precipice where it's even it's even more so in american culture where we don't even like fart in front of anybody so like we deny everything to do i actually with- know a guy who is married to his wife for three, four, five years, something like that. And to this day, they have never farted in front of each other. Yeah. Right? They're like, that's so rude and gross. And I'm like, uh, at what point do you get comfortable with one another? I would say it's a societal issue in a way. It's our human force that we're trying to deny that we're human that we're animals right that we're human and animals they poop 
they're aware of it. We are like, nope, this doesn't exist. Well, that's because some animals eat their poop. So they have to be aware of where their next breakfast is coming from. That's, I I mean, I think I'm comfortable with analogy, not that part. I I mean, eating poop. I mean, mom and dad's dog, Portia, wanted it as fresh as possible. (laughs) (laughs) Nobody needs to know that ever. Everybody needs to know that dogs are disgusting. It was so terrible um, to witness that situation. (laughs) Oh, for those who don't know, Mitzi and I are related. Uh, She is my aunt. And we have had stints where we all lived in the same house. (laughs) Over the years. Over the years. So I digress. Analogy. Analogy. So that's really what it's about is just saying that if you're human, you poop. Uh, but if we don't talk about it, we're denying that we're animals and that we'll die. And so we keep really busy with all this mundane um, life and everything shiny and pretty and jobs and just concerns. And it's it just comes back to the fact that we all poop every day because we're just animals. But if we don't talk about it, we don't think about it, we deny that we poop. Uh, then everything will be fine. You will live forever. Something like that. So, I mean, that, that kind of goes, do, do you believe this is a, like a, a Western culture issue or is this a worldwide cultural like phenomenon where we're, we're terrified to talk about our own deaths and terrified to talk about uh, pooping and, kind of ignoring the these aspects of our lives because i know in my travels like i've met and had conversations death is not a taboo subject and people are more open about like hey i'm i'm gonna go take a shit real quick like and it's not a weird thing like men women not like not a sexist thing like anything like it's completely normal to have those statements so are you finding in your research that it's more of like a Western thing or across the board? I would say um, this, this isn't research-based. The, the book that I'm reading from, again, is I think it's 1977 when it was first written. And they are dealing mostly with Western society, Americans. I mean, Freud is an American, but Ernest Becker was speaking about Western culture. And uh, I do know in my personal experiences with uh, both Germans and Japanese uh, individuals that have come to like my death cafes or uh, other talks that I've done, they, they do say that. They're like, well, in, in Japan, we talk about death all the time. And like, yeah, pooping is just not the same issue that it is here. And it's not to say that they over talk about it. They just don't deny that it's in existence. The Germans, and I got this from another podcast, so I don't want to throw them, uh, I don't want to throw anyone like under the bus, but they were saying that in German, there's more words for poop than like 
other things. And I guess they talk about poop all the time. So it would be curious to see what they think about death because I, it was a different kind of podcast. <laughs> I just happened to hear that they love talking about poop. And so I put it together like <laughs> one and one together and figured they must like death too. <laughs> I don't know I, yeah. I mean, talking to my, one of my friends from uh, New Zealand, she was very open. Actually, my friend from New Zealand, another one from France, another one from England, we all sat around and, and had a discussion about it. Uh, basically, as you and I started to talk about death and grief and loss more, I started talking to them more about it. And they said it's a very normal practice talking about just our mortality in general across, like across their families. And just, it wasn't a taboo subject like it is here. And I found that fascinating because most people, when I talk about this podcast or I talk about starting a funeral shroud business and all that, like everybody's supportive, but there's always that kind of underlying tone of like, okay, you're either like a little weird or creepy or like, like this is, they're, they're all intrigued though. Everybody wants to talk about it is what I'm, I'm finding, Mm -hmm. but everybody's a little hesitant and weary of just like, really, I think the vulnerability that comes with being okay talking about it. Yeah. I, I think that goes into a couple different issues is that, 20% 20% of people um, is the statistic that have actual death anxiety. So you're going to be running into a couple of those people, just pure odds, right? Um, one in five, one in five, two in 10 people are actually have death anxiety. So that affects their everyday life. Um, if you are actually that far into death anxiety, other people might be death conscious and death avoidant, right? Like where they don't want to talk about it. They don't want to think about it. Um, So I think that's just going to be the general numbers of the public as well. Where they come from culturally and how their parents were about talking about death or pooping, because we're going to just tie that all together, uh, is going to matter. That's going to sway people one way or another and then any kind of death teacher that they've had so um any decent experiences i'd say with death throughout their life thus far before you're talking to them is going to color whether they have a little bit of anxiety or want to talk about it even if before that death if they had a tragic death or some kind of trauma around death even if before that they were like I poop all the time and I love talking about death. You know, there's certain deaths that change us and they might change us just for a little while, but some might might change us forever and the rest of our family pattern. So, uh, yeah, us being like, Oh, we love talking about death is a little strange. (laughs) It's a little strange. Uh, but it's about changing the pattern. So when deaths do come a knock in, I don't, I don't know what they're going to do, but they come through our our life. We're going to be a little bit more prepared on how to deal with it and how to see it and how to kind of react to it. Yeah. I I wouldn't say uh, through the process 
I like talking about death as much as I, I would say I like opening up the discussion about death. Mm-hmm. I, I, I see it more as like a goal that we're trying to uh, achieve of getting everybody to be more okay with the fact that we're going to die and we need to really deal with that on a day-to-day basis. Would, would you agree with that? I think day-to-day is, is a little, uh, I mean, I think that's going to overwhelm most people thinking about it every day. Uh, there's Buddhist monks that can do that. Uh, they think it's really important to think about death every day. The general public, I, I think going from zero to 100, right? Unless they're death anxiety and then they're actually talking. They think about death every day. <laughs> they don't want to. <laughs> they, don't, they don't want that feeling. So I think going a, a little bit in the middle, I'm a, I'm a gray area person and talking about death health, right? We talk about sex health which is just the sex education piece of it, knowing, knowing everything. So you have a death health background or sexuality, like healthy sexuality. This is just death health, right? It's just about learning what it is that we are doing to avoid dying or how we're going to die a little bit better um, if, if we learn some things. So... So, so what are some tools that you would say helps with people? Cause I haven't been to a death cafe. Um, I know you, you've run a, a number of them. Mm-hmm. And so what are some tools that you would give someone to kind of open up the discussions within their peer group, their families, uh, in a non-threatening way? I would say this is, you know, step one, what we're doing right here, listening to this. If somebody is listening and they're kind of on the fence about it, right. We're going to have a lot of people that are interested in this field, listening to this kind of podcast, but we're talking about the people on the fringe that are in between. Then I would say going to a death cafe, just taking in bit by bit is the first step. Don't dive in. You don't need to read any books about death and dying, but at the same time, like being open to the conversations when they come up. Uh, I've been struck lately by how many skulls I see out in public. Um, I take, now I've been taking photos of them uh, for the Instagram page because I think it's so fascinating that I go around corners and there's a guy with a skull t-shirt and this is all the time now. I uh, was at some store, like a normal store and they had a, I don't even know what it was, like candy and it had skulls and it's not even close to Halloween. So I don't know what that was about. A whole tequila brand that is just based on, on sugar skulls. And we don't talk about death, but there's like literally skulls everywhere and every piece of art, graffiti, um, just decorative doors have skulls on them, but we're not talking about death. You know, like that can be art, but we don't talk about death. So, so, so are you basically saying that we as a society want to talk about death and maybe wearing the skulls or 
having like skulls and paintings, tattoos. Like I've got a tattoo of a jellyfish with a cave pattern on it. But if you look, the artist, I gave him free reign to kind of like come up with his own thing. He put a skull in the rocks. If you don't look at it, like just looking at it like plainly, like at a quick glance, you won't see it. But once I tell you there's a skull in it, you'll see it every time. It looks cool. I, think, I, I, I like it. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And you were there when I got it. <laughs> yeah, I don't remember that piece. I look at music and art and uh, movies. There's so much death. There's, there's death everywhere. And it's our opportunity to have that conversation with our loved ones uh, strangers if they like the same music but we just avoid that part we want it in our life just enough just enough you know like we deal with pooping just enough <laughs> that it what we have to do that's that's what we do we want it close enough by because we know that it's going to affect us but not we don't want to dive into it because that's a little scary so i'm saying like there's a middle ground where we could learn a little bit more in the technical side and so are you finding like a a good age to like start really talking about death with your loved ones because i know almost every i know i had this discussion with you offline uh with your daughter of name me a movie that like a Disney movie that doesn't kill off their parents. <laughs> yeah. And you guys actually named off like two or three pretty quick. I was, I was rather impressed because you're not big Disney watchers. No, that's all her. No, she is. She likes Disney. Not me. I... But, but I would say at least 80% of the move of the Disney movies out there, they're killing off the parents almost immediately or they just aren't in it. Aladdin, I don't know what happened to his mm-hmm. parents, but he lives on the street without parents. You've got yeah. the in Frozen, both parents. Well, there's theories on that one. I guess like they crashed in a, in a boat crash, but there's theories that her mom was pregnant and Tarzan is actually their baby. Oh yeah. Like, yeah all yeah. these movies are like intertwined and like their ship that wrecked is actually the wrecked ship in, uh, the little mermaid, mm-hmm. which Ariel's mom isn't in the picture. Bambi's mom gets killed. Yeah. Doesn't Dumbo's Dumbo's doesn't have a dad. I don't think like there's a, either a missing parent or, they straight up kill them in the movie. Yeah. So um, like, these are things I I've had to have these conversations with Avery. Yeah. I think every, there's every age you should be talking about death, just age appropriately. Right. And we can get into that. Um, in a deeper level later, but it's, it's everywhere. And most of our death teachers at this point in time in Western society, kids under 10, a lot of their death teachers are pets, right? So that's like the introduction. So you have Disney movies and you have pets. 
grandparents sometimes, but you know, it's, it's a good idea that the number one cause of death for anyone under 44 is an accident, right? So like household, household accidents, all kinds of accidents, uh, teenagers, it's definitely car accidents. So that's part of under 44, uh, when it comes to all the statistics, but children are, yeah, accidents, teenagers, car accidents, and then adults, probably work accidents, car accidents, kind of a mixture. Yeah, I want to say it was like 250,000 people under the age of 50 die each year in America. That's just in America. Yeah. And so we do have these opportunities to talk about death. And we should be talking about it a little bit more because uh, it's possible we'll know somebody and or we'll need to be you know, taking care of, of something in, in our lives. So it's never too soon, <laughs> like, but it just depends on how you're doing it. There's plenty of books and ideas to start with. You talk about the seasons, right? Seasons come and they go. It's a pretty common one. But. Dead bugs on the sidewalk. I had to explain a dead moth in Chipotle to uh, my two-year-old. <laughs> Not in the Chipotle, right? Oh, no, no. It was in the Chipotle. In the food? No, no, no. On the floor. Okay. By where you stand in line, because there's always a really long line. I thought you meant it was in your food. and then... Oh, no. That's just extra protein. Uh, that's true. Right? I, I mean, if you're not vegan, you could talk about your food. <laughs> right? Or I guess vegans, too. I mean, your plants are dead. Right. I mean, we have an opportunity to do that. An interesting thing uh, here in the city, I live in Seattle and uh, people, a lot of people, (laughs) a lot of people have chickens here. It's like a farm and a city all together and bunnies and doves and you name it. We have it. Uh, Even some goats. Uh, But chickens, they get the chickens when they're real little and they sex them. But sometimes a rooster comes through. Right. But it's illegal to have a rooster in the city. So they have these roosters. Really? <laughs> Think about what a rooster does. Some people need alarm clocks. Like, you have not obviously lived around a rooster. Uh, but the crows are bad enough here in Seattle, so to wake us up, we don't need any roosters. Do you have but people I, on front porch steps, like, counting them? Singing songs counting, about it. Oh, counting the crow. Yeah. Yeah. Talk about death music. Yay. Yay. Okay. Uh, in that song that it was named after, she's dead. He's dreaming about her and she's in the snow counting the crows. I mean, death is everywhere. And then crows are symbolic of death. Uh, anyway, go back to the rooster. The rooster. Uh, so they they have farms around the area that will slaughter the rooster, right? So you eat the chicken, but they do it for um, kiddos to learn ethical farming and like what happens and how you get chicken. Um, and I just think it's a beautiful way to kind of un- kids understand where their food is coming from uh, in a 
like a loving environment. I haven't been to one. I've only heard great things and that's why I'm going to call it a loving environment of learning, but <laughs> I don't know. It sounds, sounds harsh too, but at the same time, very needed. So I don't know. They learn about death real quick and at the butcher, I guess. It's something that's removed from us. There used to be butchers in your village, and now we've just removed death from us even further. It's like butchers are like pooping. Yeah. And we Take came that. full circle. Take... <laughs> Mic drop. <laughs> butchers are like pooping. <laughs> just sample that little sentence out of all of it and just use it all the time. But we want to be very clear. We are not saying that butchers are shitty. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I mean, I had an uncle that was a butcher. He's He was pretty nice. But other than that, like, yeah, I don't know. There's probably a shitty butchers. Like, like, just by they, odds. Like they're just not good at butchering or they're shitty people and they butcher? Probably both. Both. There's probably both. You know. That's a fair assessment. I mean, the law, it's the law of numbers. It has to. I think that's a good place to leave it for today. Thank you all for joining us on the Dead Funny Dead Serious podcast, and we hope to see you next time.